Well, the world has gone insane, and uh, I'm here to pick up the pieces, try to give you my thoughts on it, my commentary on the chaos unfolding, not only in around the world, but also in my own home state here on the Conservative Connection. The Conservative Connection. Where to begin, where to begin. Wow, uh, a lot's happened. So a lot of you guys have wondered, uh, where was I in all this? Well, I accidentally, not accidentally, I had uh, this severe migraines that were happening to the point where um, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, guys. I had to go see uh, a doctor, get some MRIs on my head. Uh, not ideal, but um, that held me up for a little bit of time. And, uh, yeah, then my mom's birthday happened. So I was trying to celebrate that. And then on top of that, just, I got flooded with, uh, work and, uh, all this kind of happened all at once. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just got behind a lot, but, uh, let's talk about, uh, what's happening in Israel. Now, a lot of you guys are seeing this very strong anti-Semitic movement kind of moving through the college campuses, you're seeing it move through just all these different areas of higher education. And I have to tell you that I have seen that firsthand uh, when I was at the College of Lake County. You know, I, I saw that among MSA students. Not all of them, not all of them, but some of them were extremely anti-Semitic. And I have to tell you that there are a lot of MSA chapters, again, not all of them, that have strong anti-Semitic ties. And uh, I remember one time I was trying to, I was trying to explain just my thoughts on certain areas in the Middle East. Many of you guys know that I'm very pro-Israel, and uh, this man particularly got very upset with me, and he grabbed one of our pamphlets, uh, forced uh, it into my face, screaming at me, and flipped the pamphlet around to show the author, and the author was a bald, bearded man. And uh, he said, you can't trust this guy. You know why? Because he's an effing Jew. He screamed that aloud on the campus. And when I voiced my concern uh, in that to the campus, they all just dismissed it. You know why? Because things like that probably happen all the time. They probably happen all the time. And they are just bombarded with these. And they haven't addressed it. And... As I was looking through my recordings in the past, the ones that I had with Rob, I discovered that, wow, our episode on Hamas and free Palestine from Hamas was, it was very popular at the time, but something that I didn't realize is that all the points are pretty much exactly the same. So if we look at the whole Israel situation, um, you got a lot of Christians even who are saying, oh, we need a ceasefire. We need a ceasefire. Uh, to quote the Princess Bride, I, I don't think you know what that word means. I really don't think you know what it means because a ceasefire means that nobody shoots at anybody, nobody takes up arms against anybody, and everybody lays down their weapons. But that that's not what Hamas is calling for at all. At all. Hamas on October 7th 
decided to parade in on hang gliders into the territory and butcher and slaughter a bunch of elderly people, women, children, infants. Uh, I, I even saw some of the footage I wish I hadn't seen. Um, and again, it, I didn't go looking for snuff. This was me just trying to see what was happening. And on Twitter, all these videos were coming up. I saw a, a Hamas a Hamas soldier shoot a puppy in the face with a rifle. Just things like that are things that you just, you just can't get out of your head. And I saw the stupidest arguments online, just the stupidest arguments on whether or not babies got burned alive or beheaded as if it was some strange concept like just beyond somebody's understanding that people that would ally themselves with ISIS would behead people as if that hadn't been happening for decades at this point. Terrorists behead people. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, is that a shock? Is that a shock to people? Are, are you just figuring this out now? Do we really want to go online and make the arguments that being burned alive is not as inhumane as being beheaded as an infant? I, I, it's the, the stupidest things I've ever seen. But to go back to the ceasefire idea, like a ceasefire is a temporary suspension of fighting, typically in, in one, one in which peace talks occur. And you have a truce. That's not what Hamas wants. That's not what Hamas is calling for. What Hamas is saying is, we want to slaughter thousands of people. And then as we're reloading our guns to shoot you in the face, we want you to lay down your weapons so we can shoot more of your people. So for anybody calling for a ceasefire, uh, you need to shut up because unless you're, because Hamas is not calling for a ceasefire, you don't know what you're saying. You're not calling for a ceasefire. You're calling for more innocent civilians to be slaughtered. I never thought I would reach a day in which I had to explain to other Americans that terrorists who take Americans hostage and butcher and slaughter them in terrible ways, are the bad guys. Never thought that would uh, that would occur. So some of the other arguments that you're going to hear are that it's uh, it's a land dispute. It's a land dispute, and uh, n- no, it's it's not a land dispute. It's not, and it never has been. They want to wipe out the Jews, and in the Middle East. They say this. They say this aloud. They tell people this. They tell people, we want to murder the Jews. We want to wipe out the Israeli state. It does not deserve to exist. We want to kill all the Jews. But on the American college campuses, they have to know their audience. They have to know that, you know, you can't approach a bunch of dumb feminists and explain that you want to make sure that they can never show their knees and that they need passports like with men attached to them at the hip, wherever they go. And that, um, and that they can't have rights and they can be bought and sold like chattel and they can, they can't drive or they can't vote. They have to know their audience. So what they do is they 
approach these feminists and these uh, all these dumb groups on campus, and they try to paint the Israeli situation among Gaza and among the rest of the Arab states as if the Israelis are the white colonial oppressors and the the Arabs or the Gazans are these in these innocent victims who are already in the area kind of like the Native Americans and they got taken over and uh, that's just not the case at all if you look at Israel's history if you look at you just the rulers in the area can anybody name me one king of this Israeli region that was this Palestinian king or this this Palestinian ruler before the Jews got there um, no you can't because you can you can trace it back thousands of years but you had King David you had um, you know you, you had Hadrian come in and he named the areas Palestine because the Philistines were the enemies of the Israelis, but even the people occupying that region, they were not Arab, they were Greek. A lot of people do not understand the history of this region. They just do not. And it's <laughs> it's very disturbing to me that um, we have so many people who are so ignorant on this subject. But again, they have to portray themselves as if it's this terrible colonial conflict, and that's how they paint the region. That's what they do. And people forget that they have um, the three no's, the three famous no's. Here we go. Trying to pull up some some things on my <laughs> notes here. And I'm running into some technical difficulties, obviously. But yeah, I was, I was shocked um, when I really looked into the episode we have called um, Free Palestine from Hamas, in which we went over just just how similar the talking points were. And I noticed something, and one of the things that I noticed was originally I couldn't figure out why exactly BLM was basically allying themselves with the Palestinian movement. That, that was something that I really couldn't figure out. Until I discovered that, um, you know, they have the same white colonialist narrative that Hamas uses as propaganda. And that basically they paint themselves as the victims so they can commit terrible acts of violence. And really that's what all terrorists do. That's what all terrorists do. So we saw BLM in Chicago um, and my home area, and we saw them putting out images of hang gliders saying, I stand with Hamas. Basically just showing themselves to be, yes, we support violence against innocent people so long as it fits our agenda. And it took, the, it took people this long to realize that BLM supports terrorism. Because again, when you're a terrorist, this is what you do. You violently attack innocent people to put them into a state of fear while calling yourself the victim. We see this in Latin America with Latin American terrorism. We've seen this with the Chavistas. We've seen this with BLM, and we've seen it with Hamas. I mean, BLM killed so many innocent Americans. I remember watching one particular story in which I saw, um, it was I, I think it was like a 15-year-old girl, uh, her 
her sister was shot inside the, a crowd of BLM protesters. And she was with them supporting them. And they murdered her sister and the cops just let it go. They didn't, didn't really research it, never find out who shot her. And uh, this young girl was without a sister. And uh, BLM came to shout at her, yell at her, and try and shut her up. Not ideals. Not ideal. And really, I just feel like the world's kind of insane. I don't know about you guys, but it just it just tends to keep getting crazier. I never I never thought it would be this hard for me to say, yeah, the, the guys shooting themselves up with drugs so they can torture people alive uh, are the bad guys. I mean, is it is it really hard to figure out who the bad guys are in this situation? That being said, I will say it is very weird that they had such a slow response time. I think about that a lot because Israel is known for their security. And I just wonder why was the response time so slow? Why were there no soldiers to defend these people when IDF is usually crawling everywhere on the border? And Charlie Kirk has asked those questions too. Those are fair questions to ask. But it does not, however, justify anything that that happened on October 7th. And the, the idea that, like, you cannot watch thousands of videos released in a single day of events and think it's, it's all propaganda. It's too much. It's too much to happen. And, you know, we lost American civilians. I'm sure the families of those American citizens who are like tourists from Nashville, I'm sure they're mourning right now because their families got slaughtered at, by Hamas. Is, is the president going down to comfort them? We still haven't gotten our hostages out. I don't know what the plan is there. And Hamas decides to use children as human shields and then act like the victims. I mean, these people don't care about their own people. And then Biden decides to delay Israel's ground invasion by going and visit. And he lifted sanctions on Iran, freeing up like $600 billion worth of assets that Iran had a month before this happened. And then after it, he decides to give $100 million to Gaza, which is controlled by Hamas. And this is after the attack. So we're, the United States taxpayer is giving Hamas $100 million, essentially. Can somebody explain to me why we're doing that or why that makes sense? But all these conservatives and Republicans are going to go, oh, Biden loves Israel. Really? He just gave $100 million to the government that butchered them alive. You're going to tell me how much he loves them? Hard argument to sell. Hard argument to sell for me. And people will say, well, if Israel just allowed the Palestinians to have a state of their own, there would be peace in the Middle East. Well, here's the problem with that scenario. Uh, Israel offered the Palestinians a state of their own five times, right? After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire, uh, Britain had control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes like modern Israel. And uh, this was after World War I. And this was about 1918. 17 years later, after the Arab Revolt happens against the British in 1936, and the British formed this task force uh, 
to try to figure out what all this violent ruckus is about, uh, their conclusion was that the Jews and Arabs in the area wanted to govern the same land. The answer they thought is, let's create two independent states, right? We'll give a state to the Jews and a state to the Arabs. Simple solution. Problem solved. We'll call it the two-state solution. And uh, the split starts off heavily in favor of the Arabs. And uh, the Brits say, okay, Arabs will give you 80% of the territory. Jews get 20. Jews are like, yeah, sounds good to us. And the Arabs reject it. And they say, well, screw that. And they resume the, the violent rebellion, slaughtering everybody. Again, 1918. So rejection one. So about 10 years later, a solution... Sorry, that was uh, 1937. So rejection one is 1937. Then 10 years later, 1947, the Brits ask the UN, let's find a solution. And the UN says again, well, the best solution is to divide the land between the Jews and the Arabs. Let's try the two-state solution one more time. Try it once, let's try it again. So in November of 1947, now after another deal is presented, the Jews accept it again, and the Arabs not only reject it, they launch an all-out war against Israel. Jordan, Iraq, Lebanon, Egypt, Syria, they all join the conflict, and they fail. They fail against Israel in this miraculous win. So Israel wins the war, and they begin building a country. Now, the way I've always saw this is, if you win a land through conquest when both of your sides agree to war, you know, all is fair in love and war to the victor goes the spoils. It's basically like a gamble. You, you, you go and you take your soldiers and you say, we're gambling, whoever wins gets the land. That's how one conflict has always won. So in my opinion, at this point, Israel's already won the land through conflict. So... Anyway, Israel wins the war. They begin building their country, and most of the land set aside for the Arab state by the UN, like uh, the West Bank and East Jerusalem, they become occupied territory, not by Israel, but by Jordan. And 20 years later, in 1967, the Arabs, led this time by Egypt and joined by Syria and Jordan, once again, they seek to destroy the Jewish state. The 1967 conflict, now known as the Six-Day War, and shockingly, again, with another miraculous win for Israel, an even bigger miraculous win for Israel, and Jerusalem and the West Bank fall into Israel's hands. Now, what the Israelis wanted to do was give the Palestinian or Gazans these certain regions they acquired in order to achieve peace in the Middle East. They say, hey, we'll give you these two areas. You can build your Palestinian state, and then we'll have a two-state solution and have peace. The Arab League meets in Sudan and issues its infamous three no's in response. And these three no's still stand today. And the three no's are no recognition of Israel, no peace with Israel, and no negotiations with Israel. A third rejection for a Palestinian state. Again, guys, if you have no peace with a country, no recognition of a country, and no negotiations with a country, that is, that's not a land dispute. That's you want to wipe that country out. A land dispute means that you could approach the table, right, with something, something. But here they, they say no negotiations under any circumstances. That is not a land dispute. That's a hatred for a people. Nobody can tell me any different. I mean, what what are you supposed to do in that situation? Again, if you go look up the 
even for yourselves, go look up the Palestinian flag of 1907. It's the Star of David. It's the Star of, it's the Jewish Star of David in the Israeli flag colors. That was the Palestinian flag of 1907, right? Been in the area a long time. But let's keep going, because why not? In 2000, President Bill Clinton, um, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, terrorist, um, sorry, no, Ehud Barak and a terrorist, Yasser Arafat, they go into Camp David, right? And Yasser Arafat was a terrorist. Ehud Barak wasn't. I, I was trying to say Ehud Barak and a terrorist, but this terrorist leader of the PLO, Yasser Arafat, who was crazy. Um, I, I still don't understand how he won the Nobel Peace Prize. That's beyond me, but whatever, moving on. Barack says, hey, look, Arafat will offer a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank. And as a cherry on top, you'll even have East Jerusalem as the capital. But the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. Bill Clinton says he was there for 14 days and he said no to everything. He said no to absolutely everything. So instead, the Palestinians launch a bloody wave of suicide bombings, kill over a thousand Israelis, and maimed thousands more on buses and wedding halls and in pizza parlors and food restaurants. Rejection four. In 2008, Israel tries, hey, we'll, hey, we'll try again. We'll try one more time. Prime Minister, uh, Minister Ehud Olmart goes even further than Ehud Barak did, which you know you wouldn't even think was possible. He says, okay, we're going to expand the peace offer even more. Going to give them an offer they can't refuse. Palestinian state in all of Gaza, 94% of the West Bank. East Jerusalem as the capital, and we'll give them even more land. The new uh, Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, turns the deal down. Again, just like Arafat. Rejection number five of a Palestinian state. 2005, all of Israel abandons Gaza and says, Hey, Palestinians, let's try to get some peace, okay? Here's Gaza. We'll give you Palestinians complete control. We'll kick all our own people out. And the Palestinians grateful, gratefully accept, right? And they're like, wow, Israel's coming to us in good faith for the fifth time in a row. Let's develop the territory and for the good of our citizens and we'll have a democracy and everybody will be free. No, that's not what happened. No, the Palestinians turned Gaza into a terrorist base and started launching thousands of rockets five seconds after they took it over, almost. And currently Israel has had so many rejections of this offer. I think sometime, I think it was last year or the year before, um, they had 1,600 rockets launched at them from Gaza in about 10 days. And it turns out giving a group of terrorists their own state is probably not the best idea, especially when uh, al-Husseini and Arafat kill all the moderates that disagree with them. And by the way, al-Husseini was like the leader of the modern Palestinian movement, and he was strongly allied with Adolf Hitler. They're photographed together even. He actually directly recruited for the Nazis. And in fact, if Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox, had not conquered one of the battles that he won, 
there would have been Auschwitz-style concentration camps set up in the Middle East, and it would have been done by the people who were the originators of the Palestinian movement, the George Washingtons, if you will, of the Palestinian movement. It started with anti-Semitism, guys. It's rooted in anti-Semitism. It came directly from the Nazis. These people believe what the Nazis believed about the Jews. It's, it's no different. It's, it's not any different, although they're way more militant about it than the Nazis were. So for all these people saying we just need a two-state solution, you know, you, you can't have a two-state solution like this. Again, if, if the Gazans were to just lay down all their arms, you'd have peace in the Middle East. Israel's already tried a two-state solution. It's never worked. And now the Gazans aren't even saying we want a two-state solution. Now they're just saying we just want to wipe out Israel. Two-state solution isn't even popping up. They've just abandoned that part of the propaganda. And uh, I think Israel's done. And I said this sometime last year. I think Israel's done. And I think they want to move on. And I think they want to establish that um, we're not going to be bossed around like this. We're not going to keep taking this. You, They essentially did a Pearl Harbor-style event on Israel. And they want them to just take it laying down. Now, does that mean that I think that the U.S. should get involved? No. No, we shouldn't get involved. We should just lay back. Let Israel do what it's going to do. Let them respond the way we would have responded. And let them go and let them do their own thing. And people are like, oh, well, what about the West Bank? Why don't you just give them the West Bank? If you, if you give them the West Bank, it's going to become Gaza 2.0. They don't want a second terrorist center. The Palestinians and the Gazans, or whatever you want to call them, they suck at making deals. Israel has always tried to compromise, and it's always the Palestinian leadership that says no. Again, let's go back to the three no's, right? And in addition to the six rejections I just listed, if you have no peace with Israel, if you have no recognition of Israel, and you have no negotiation, no negotiation, guys. No negotiation means nothing. There's never, it's never been a negotiation. They have said no to everything. Why? Because they disguise their hatred for the Jews and wanting to wipe out all the Jews, and they disguise it in propaganda as a land dispute. But I'm promising you, if somebody says no to everything except wiping out the entire region, those people are there, not there to negotiate, as they've said. As they've said, no peace, no recognition, no negotiation. Those people are their enemies. They're always going to be their enemies. They've always been their enemies. And I know what you're thinking, right? Well, a lot of innocent women and children are going to get killed. Yeah, because of the Palestinian leadership and because they decided to be an initial aggressor and kill 1,600 people, which for some reason nobody seems to care about these people when the situation comes up. You know, we're hearing tops about Islamophobia countering a lot from the White House, but I don't see any quells to curb the anti-Semitic movement I've seen grown across college campuses. And if any of you guys run into this situation, I'd like you to just ask somebody. I'm like, okay, well, do you think you're arguing from good faith? If you are, let me ask you a question. In good faith, in good faith, if Hamas takes over the entire region— right? If they take over all of Israel, hundred percent of it, what do you want to happen to the Jews? What do you want to happen to the Jews in the area? Where do they go? 
what happens to them? What do you think Hamas will do to them? Usually whenever I ask that question, things get quiet because the truth is these people are Nazis, essentially. They have the same ideology as the Nazis. They want the Jews eliminated and exterminated and killed and slaughtered and butchered in crazy ways. These people are savages. They have no concept of civilian life. And I honestly believe their IQs are too low to actually ever form their own kind of democracy. The only kind of democracy in the Middle East, right? Because the only way you could have any area that protected the Jews would would be to have a democracy. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. And it, it's going to be eliminated. If you had any kind of other democracy in the Middle East, it would just become Israel 2.0 and they'd target that area. It could be in southern Sudan, away from all of the holy sites and everything else. Trust me, if it was a haven for the Jews, they'd want to eliminate it. I think it's time we stop lying to ourselves about um, about what's going on, guys. Like When you take into account that more than 50% of the Gazans support, overwhelmingly support Hamas, I think it's even higher than that, more of the population of Gaza supports Hamas than Germans supported the Nazis. When Winston Churchill bombed Dresden, there were a lot of innocent women and children that got killed. They got burned alive with white phosphorus in horrific, nightmarish ways, things that you would have seen in a horror movie. Did those women and children deserve that? No. No, they didn't. That was terrible. It was a horror of war. Is that a terrible thing? Yeah. That's a terrible thing. Did innocent women and children die? Yes. Does that mean I would side with the Nazis? No. Are innocent women and children going to die in Gaza? Yes. Does that mean I side with Hamas? No. Does that mean I want to see those innocent women and children die in Dresden or in Gaza? No. No, I don't. I wish they would have evacuated, but Hamas wants to have them as hostages. They want to keep their own people hostage. That's what they want to do. And in the same way, the Brits killed a lot more Germans than the Germans ever killed British. That doesn't mean that the Germans were in the right in the war. War sucks. But uh, at this point, we're just going to have to let them settle their own issues and not get involved and stay out of it. We'll be right back after this break. So now to my own home state of Illinois. Um, To anybody in Illinois, you need to hear this warning. Um, You've got about until January 1st of 2024 until I believe, and again, this is just a feeling, it's not set in stone, but I believe that body armor in our state is going to be banned. Why do I think that? Well, let's go to a little thing called Illinois House Bill 3238, shall we? Again, 
if you guys want to take the gamble that uh, this won't happen, be my guest, but I'm telling you, you might want to pick up some body armor to get grandfathered in if you want to get grandfathered in. So Illinois House Bill 3238 says that you will not be able to buy, sell, or transfer body armor or plates in the future. Now, this is a bill. It's not a law. It's not set in stone, but this is something they're working on. You will not be able to buy or sell body armor in the future. This is similar to AB92 that was tried in California. This is a bill. AB92 was a bill in California, and it, the body armor section was received so terribly, and it was so muddied in California that um, like, they wanted to say that you could not purchase body armor if you, at all, that they had to renege their body armor position within the law. And they changed it and amended it so that you could only buy body armor if you were not a prohibited person. Which, by the way, it's already hard to get body armor, guys. Like, you're not going to get body armor if you're a prohibited person anyway. But the bill in Illinois is further in its reach, and it is moving forward. Summary of the bill states that, with certain exceptions, it is unlawful within the state for any person within the state to knowingly manufacture, deliver, sell, import, or purchase, or cause to be manufactured, delivered, sold, imported, or purchased by another any armor plate, body armor, or military helmet, etc. So this is the general goal of the bill. Prevent average law-abiding people from having body armor. With certain exceptions... Beginning January 1st of 2024, it is unlawful for any person within the state not just to sell and purchase body armor, but also knowingly possess an armor plate, body armor, or even a military helmet, or any of the things I just listed. So through this bill, the grandfather position, uh, provision says that if you possess these items before January 1st, you can keep lawful possession of these items if you write a form delivered to the Illinois State Police, if you are in possession of any body armor, plate, helmet, or anything I just listed, that you possess prior to the ban. They are making a registry out of this, a makeshift registry, and they're giving you about six months after January 1st, 2024, to register these items. You'll also not be able to purchase any new plates or helmets going forward, even if you were legally owning these items. You cannot purchase any new ones in the future. As many of you already know, uh, body armor has an expiration date. It's not good until death. I mean, yes, you you can argue that you've seen people use expired body armor and it's worked good for them. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but if you got nothing else, sure. The bill manages um, also the manner in which you can use these items. So you can only possess these items, A, on private property owned or immediately controlled by the person, or B, on private property not open to the public if you have permission of the owner of that land. Any violation of this bill will be considered a Class A misdemeanor for the first offense and a Class 4 felony for any subsequent offense. The individuals that are exempt from this bill include police officers, peace officers, qualified law enforcement officers, retired officers, wardens, correctional officers, members of the military, and also companies that have security officers, security guards, or anything else of that nature as certain exceptions. We're not sure if they're going to exempt all of them. Pretty typical um, of anti-gunners and anti-2Ayers to put these provisions in for law enforcement so they don't get pushed back from law enforcement. Although I believe 
that if you're a manufacturer of these items, uh, you should just refuse to sell it to anybody. After all, if we're going to ban them, why not ban them for everyone, right? Just refuse to supply it to the government and, uh, and other officers because why should, uh, why should we be giving out banned items, right? Let's make the world safer. The Second Amendment doesn't just protect firearms, guys. It also protects the right of an individual to self-protection from tyrannical threats, both foreign and domestic, and used by law-abiding people. For defensive purposes, this includes body armor. It is a defensive tool. It is the most defensive tool and the most defensive arm you're probably likely to buy. In the Supreme Court case, uh, Caetano, the Supreme Court held that the Second Amendment extends to all instruments that constitute bearable arms, even those that did not exist in the time of the founding. In this case, they were examining stun guns. In the U.S., they found that 200,000 stun guns owned by civilians was enough to find that they were in common use. There are significantly, trust me, I promise you, there are significantly more people in possession of body armor than there are stun guns. In the Supreme Court decision, D.C. versus Heller, and I quote, Second Amendment includes anything that a man wears for his defense or takes into his hands. So under the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment, body armor is a protected arm, and a ban on their purchase and sale is clearly unconstitutional, unquote. So D.C. versus Heller already established that body armor is protected under the Second Amendment. But the state of Illinois has now gone beyond California did and, and what California did in AB 92 that, again, had severe pushback. This is a very heavily, heavily liberal state, and they pushed back on this. We're going beyond California now. We're, we're trying to take body armor away from citizens. I don't know if you guys realize this. There's a lot of school shootings out there, and there was a big movement to have bulletproof backpacks for students to wear so that they could be protected. Can you imagine if this passes, Illinois House Bill 3238, this passes, and those students have to have those stripped away from them by the police? Imagine if you do have somebody who becomes a school shooter in that situation. Imagine what would happen if they watched that happen. I want you to imagine that person who's deranged and wants to hurt people watching these students with bulletproof backpacks give them into the police. What do you think is going to go through that psycho's head? You think that the, it's going to make these kids more safe? And we've seen magazine bans in California, and they try to get rid of the grandfathered items afterwards. So here's what they do. They say, oh, we have a grandfather, grandfather provision. The grandfather provision will protect you if you already own this. And they saw they did this in California. They had extended magazines and magazines like that were held more than 10 to 15 rounds in California. And then what they try to do is they say, oh, we need to ban the items. We need to ban the guns that actually hold those magazines, that even if, that, if they're limited, because we need to close the loophole. Many of you might think that, oh, I, this is Illinois. I don't have to worry about this. But I promise you, the second they pass this, they will have opened Pandora's box to grab them from you and where you are as well. AB 92 was halted 
but it's going to be opened back up in California if if HB 3238 in Illinois passes. I promise you. And then they will move to get other blue states on board, like New Jersey. Then they're going to roll around to different states. And they're going to see it passed in New York and other areas. And it will go forward into a national ban. The government is telling law-abiding citizens that in order to ensure their safety, that they will be denying you the tools to improve your safety. These politicians are trying to ban the most passive way young students and adults have been able to protect themselves from shootings. Now, uh, there is a company called uh, Wonder Hoodie, and you can look it up on Demolition Ranch. And uh, I was very impressed with this company. Um, And Wonder Hoodie... They essentially make hoodies in which um, the body armor is inside of them. And for every so many sales they do, they they donate uh, one, one jacket to a student of a school or a teacher to keep them safe. It would really suck if those people ended up having to give those up. You know, in the state of Ohio... Like I said before, um, in the state of Ohio, there have been zero successful attacks on schools since a specific legislation passes. Uh, passed. They publicized in Ohio that school staff are legally allowed to be armed and that their schools consisted of people who were armed and who were qualified to the same standard as the Ohio State Police. And they said, if you break into our schools where our children are, these armed staff will stop you before you can harm our kids. Headline story, superintendent said, we are armed and if you come to the school to harm our children, we will kill you. Ever since that passed and that initiative has gone through in Ohio, there have been zero successful school shootings in the area. I think we're going on two or three years now. <coughs> and I doubt we're going to see one in the future. And if we, even if we do, it'll be probably extremely limited. As many of you people know, um, state of Illinois just recently upheld by the appellate court the semi-automatic firearms ban. And I have to go over that with you because now I sincerely believe that now that they've upheld that ban, that they're going to move into the body armor ban because they're all, they're, all their work with the semi-automatic firearms ban is already done. Now, Tom DeVore might actually open up his lawsuit so other people can join him, but it's very hard to get in. I tried to get in. I couldn't. Many people said, oh, they're just trying to ban AR-15s. I won't, uh, it won't matter. I'll get a shotgun. But what they did was they, uh, they banned any kind of gun that could be easily converted to have an extended magazine. And they haven't really defined what readily restored or readily convertible or really what any of that means. 
and the state police the state police haven't come down with anything concrete in the letter of the law. This is the PICA Act. And the act doesn't specifically regulate ammunition, but there's no benchmarking. And, you know, if you have a shotgun, you can fit way more cells in a shotgun using inch and three-quarter minis into any 12-gauge shotgun than if you were to use um, three-and-a-half-inch shells. But there's no way to figure out if we're in compliance or we're not in compliance. The gun laws in Illinois are so flipped up, you know, just all over the place, loosey-goosey with everything— and they try this is what this is the problem when people who don't know anything about firearms try to dictate gun laws about firearms they they have no idea what they're talking about and now we it's not just assault weapons they've also gone into quote unquote assault weapon attachments and this doesn't just cover things like bump stocks i know that's going into the supreme court but technically they they they've gone after things like silencers they've gone after uh braces but it extends so much. It extends so much. So there's no exemption in 1.10 of, the, of this uh, of this PICA Act. You cannot sell any magazine that can be readily converted, and by virtue of this, the Remington 870 pump-action shotgun is basically illegal. No, not basically. It is illegal for sale in the state of Illinois because the magazine is permanently affixed and can be readily converted. Anyone who can convert a Remington 870 um, in a, in a gun shop knows that it'll probably take them less than five minutes. The law defines that it needs to take eight hours worth of machine shopping. The ISP, uh, the Illinois state police just banned a whole style of pump action shotguns that are sold with AR-15 style pistol grips, AR-15 style stocks, and AR-15 style buffer tubes. The ban has exp- extended to include manually operated firearms with the exception of lever guns and tubular magazines for 2020, 2022 rimfire ammunition. The letter of the law says a barrel shroud attached to the barrel or that partially or completely encircles the barrel, allowing the bearer to hold the firearm with the non-trigger hand without being burped. It has no, like is banned. It has no relevance to how it is attached to the gun. So GPAC under the law bans the 1022. And if you look at the 1022 specifically, there is a barrel band around the standard traditional old walnut stuck model that connects the barrel to the forend. So we can't even buy a rimfire rifle like the M&P 22 LR because they banned it. Firearms dealers are now having to deal and put up with the fallout of this. So it's impossible to get around this without some sort of legislation change. How does the agency define the black letter of the law? We don't know. When someone is detained by a law enforcement, maybe you can beat the rap, but you, you can't beat the ride because they'll just tell you that it's up to their own discretion and they don't care what the law says. And that means we're in trouble again because we don't really have solid definitions for anything. Now, how how ridiculous could this get? Well, Technically, almost all airsoft guns have these quote-unquote assault weapon attachments. Can they arrest airsoft players because they have assault weapon attachments? Maybe. Would they? I don't know. Um, That question was actually asked. And uh, reportedly, when it came to the airsoft guns in Illinois, allegedly the woman said it would be up to the county 
as how it is handled and when it, and it came to another issue. Uh, somebody had, <laughs> this was very comical. I think he was trolling, but he presented to the, the, uh, legis- legislature, the, uh, the original Star Wars, uh, lightsaber was a collectible. And many people don't know this, but, uh, the Star Wars lightsaber, they used a World War One number three Mark one British rifle grenade launcher in a flash hider and booster from an A&M 250 caliber Browning machine gun to make the lightsaber. And he asked the woman, does this fall under the law? Do I have to register my lightsaber under the PICA Act? And the woman at the meeting said, if it meets the definitions of the PICA Act, it will be subject to regulation and endorsement of affidavit processes. So technically, if you have an old style lightsaber in Illinois, uh, under the letter of the law, if you were to follow it exactly, you'd have to register your lightsaber with the Illinois State Police. But this is the way this stuff works. And now the administration is damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They have to fix it. But if they have to fix it, they have to also acknowledge that they screwed up and they don't want to admit that they screwed up because if they admit that they screwed up, well, that opens a new Pandora's box that says, well, now we have to acknowledge that we screwed up, which means that we probably don't have a good case in court to uphold it. And if they don't fix it, they also pretty much don't have a really good case to uphold it because there's so many contradictions in this. Virtually almost every semi-automatic shotgun is banned in Illinois. Any tube-fed pump-action shotgun in Illinois, any semi-automatic, it is like as many people would have thought, well, I won't get an AR-15 or a Ruger Mini-14. What I'll do is I'll get a shotgun. Well, you can't buy a pump-action shotgun now in the state of Illinois. It's it's limited and limited and limited and limited. And they, they start off with like, oh, AR-15, scary rifle. And they, they start off with all this other stuff. AR-15s are not a scary rifle, guys. AR-15s are the rifle that are most popular in the United States. It's the most popular shooting rifle we have. A ton of people in the country own AR-15s. Yeah. But now, you know, the pistol grip that was used by people who had shaky hands or who were, uh, you know, veterans who needed it, that fits on an AR-15 as a prohibited attachment. If you have a Ruger American rifle or a Mossberg 590 that uses an, an AR pistol grip and you take the Ergo attachment kits and those guns can now no longer be sold, even though the gun itself, like a bolt-action rifle or pump-action shotgun, is not itself banned, but because the chassis has an AR pistol grip or because the tubes can be readily uh, converted to be extended or any one of no, any number of firearms on this list, that part or attachment being present, you now cannot sell that firearm because it has a vo- verboten attachment on it that isn't even on a firearm that is itself banned. So they expanded the ban. All the craziness of Illinois legislature. But again, guys, you do have a chance to get grandfathered in. Now, as far as this whole, should I register it with the police, um, the Illinois for the semi-automatic firearms ban for all these crazy, you know, legislation that they've thrown out there where even a 22 LR technically has to be registered with the Illinois state police for a rimfire gun. Um, most people just aren't doing it. I'm not telling you what you should or should not do. This is what the law says. 
most of them, people are just not complying with the law. I think we got maybe like less than a fraction of a fraction of 1% applying like and registering their, their firearms under this ban. But guys, uh, I'm shocked it's even that many. <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly shocked. But I guess there's, there's a, in every village, there's a village idiot, I, I guess, you know, but, you know, I can't tell you what to do. Um, I can only tell you that most people in Illinois are not complying with this. Um, but I will say, like, it's going to be very hard because regardless of whether or not you think that uh, you should be able to buy something or not, I, I, it's going to be very hard to buy body armor in the future. I would really say you, we got Black Friday coming up. Go look at reputable sites, if you, especially if you live in an area that's prone to a lot of crime and you want something that could defend yourself or your family, I would highly recommend that you guys go, you take a little bit of extra saving money or whatever you can scrounge up, and you get this stuff before it's banned. I wish that I had gone and bought several of these firearms before these semi-automatic firearm bans happened. And I had all these people telling me that I had to go do it, and you know what? I did not do it. I did not do it. Please don't make my mistake. A lot of craziness in the world. And uh, it's funny how everybody's kind of come around to my position on um, illegal immigration, even Governor Pritzker. <laughs> and yeah, it's like everything that I said was going to happen with illegal immigration ended up happening. And everybody who was actually dealing with it and seeing the consequence of, the, of that have now come around to my position. And they realize just how crazy things are about to get. Like, I want you to guys, I want you guys to imagine... I'll give you an analogy because sometimes it's hard, it's hard to understand some of this stuff. I want you to imagine if um, at the airport, right, we just announced that TSA, we got rid of all TSA, all security, all metal detectors, all, all anything when it comes to protective services, when it comes to vetting who gets on a plane. Like there's, there's, it's just empty. You just get on the plane. There's no security whatsoever. What do you think would happen to airports? What do you think would happen with people who got on those planes in about five or six months? Oh, you got that image in your head? Okay. That is our southern border right now. That is our southern border. It was so bad, actually, in some areas of Arizona, I actually saw videos. They've welded the gates open. They've torn down walls to let people in. There are people... Um, that are close to me that have shown me that there are many unaccompanied minors flying uh, planes that they've been traveling on as passengers. Like people who are just flying in from Arizona and bought a ticket, wanted to go see family in Arizona, and they're, they're seeing 20 young young boys that are there with no guardians that are their parents. You can go back and listen to my immigration debates if you want. I really wish I hadn't been protested at a second one because I went into the terrorism aspect a little bit. But uh, we, we have no idea who's coming in. And above all, I want you guys to just be safe. We've had people at the FBI even 
who will deny the fact that um, that we're not living in a heightened state of security. I would say avoid large crowds if you can for the next few months until things pipe down a little bit. And uh, I hope you guys have a safe holiday season. I hope that you guys are doing well. I'm going to be uh, releasing an Ask a Conservative uh, 2, in which um, it was done years ago, but I believe that it will help you guys to better articulate your arguments and defend your positions because we're going to have to get into de- debate mode in uh, the next year. Because if you can't defend your positions and you can't voice your opinions and you can't you know, clearly express that we, we need to change people's minds on a lot of things. I never thought I'd be... Like I know the Democrat Party is ephemeral and fickle in their positions, but I never thought they would at one point just openly side with terrorism. And it's going to be your guys' job to kind of claw people away from the radicalism that's kind of just engulfed the country. And you're going to have to bring them back to a state of sanity through logic, through reason, if you can still reason with them. Use the emotional arguments where you can. Use the logical arguments. You know, you hit all sides. Don't just focus only on facts and logic because when you do that, you kind of miss the emotionality of a lot of these situations. I hope you guys all have a uh, good evening. I hope you've taken a lot away from this podcast. I did work very hard on it. And um, I'll put up my cash app here. If you want, you can buy me a coffee. Kind of quell my nerves a little bit. (laughs) Anyway. As always, thank you for joining us today, and stay connected. The Conservative Connection. Come on, man. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 